All right, with us this hour, we have uh, Mr. Bill Warner. And again, his website is www.politicalislam.com. It's also the name of his YouTube channel. And you can see, as soon as you go to Political Islam, you can see his, his great-looking guy there on, on the video. He's um, Dr. Bill Warner, tactics for counter-jihad, right there. I mean, hey, great-looking guy. Dr. Warner, great to have you, sir. Good to be here. Man. And by the way, can I get a free sample of Monkey Munch when we're through? <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure you. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure you get Monkey Munch right away, buddy. Oh man, uh, Doctor Warner, let's let's hit the ground running. What in the world is political Islam? Okay, we hear of Islam, and, and but what's political Islam? Well, if you read. The Islamic documents, and there's three of them, Quran, which everybody's heard of and no one's read, the Sirah, the life of Muhammad, and the traditions, or the Hadith, you notice something peculiar if you're used to reading world religion, and that is most of the documents that are the foundation of Islam are mostly about non-Muslims, Kafirs, infidels. So, you see, you're in the Islamic doctrine whether you knew it or not. You thought that just Muslims were inside of Islam, but no, no, no. Islam has a place for every human being on the face of the earth, either as a believer or as a subjugated kafir, K-A-F-I-R. So anyway, kafir is, uh, since I am a kafir and I'm, not part of, I'm part of Islam, but I'm not part of the religion, I call that political Islam, the part of Islam that deals with the non-Muslim. Interesting. Okay. So, so anyone, so a non-Muslim, you are subjected to essentially the political side of Islam. Now, isn't Islam, I mean, I always describe it as, and forgive me if this is not corrected in, in your view, but I describe it as a cult presented as a religion, but it's a cult, but it's also a, a, a political system as opposed to a religion. It's or, or even a political system disguised as a religion, and that's kind of what you're saying, though, isn't it? Well, what we discover is is that Islam is far more than a religion. If Islam were a religion, I'd be out in my woodshop right now, and I wouldn't have written any books and wouldn't be talking to you. But it's the political system of Islam that's tragic, and that's the part of Islam that we, you and I have to deal with. We don't get to deal with the five prayers a day. We get to view instead to deal with what Islam says and does to us. And nice. we're getting a heavy dose of that now in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And... This is what makes Islam confusing to the average person. The average person sitting in their in their uh, barco lounge or watching the six o'clock news or whatever. I I do I do want to I do believe. Don't you agree? I mean, it's it's confusing because it, it's people are not. Well, here's what's confusing about Islam. There are two principles of Islam: submission, which means Islam is always right and you and I are always wrong. And the other is is that it's a dualistic ethical system and a dualistic thought system. There are two answers to every question, and they contradict each other. For instance, is Islam the religion of peace? Yes, it is, because the early Quran written in Mecca does not have any jihad. Is Islam about war and jihad? Yes, it is, because the second half of the Quran written in Medina, 24% of it is about jihad. 12% of the Quran written in Medina is about Jew hatred. Now, does, does Islam love the Jew? Yes, it does. Does Muhammad hate the Jew? Yes, it does. But wait, Bill, those contradict each other. Yes, but they're both true simultaneously. Interesting. Uh -huh. That's the hard <laughs> part to wrap your head around. Yeah. 
this obviously adds to the the confusion and uh the narratives that we see on tv you know the you mentioned a, a phrase that i hear off, often on mainstream media which is islam and even from our government is a religion of peace um yes and, and we see this but yeah but we see true. the the refugees it's only half true yeah because you see these refugees coming in saying we're going to take over you see the the violence and mm -hmm. the uh done under the name of the religion um why do people get so um uptight when talking about islam whether yeah, it be yeah. public or private uh in, in any venue well you know that's an interesting question if i want to go off on christianity or even judaism and just trash it nobody gets back to me all right mm -hmm. but if i want to do that to islam you do things like you and I were discussing before we came on the air, because of what I write about Islam, uh, which, by the way, is purely factual. I never use any derogatory, insulting words about Islam or Muhammad. Uh, if you do, if you quote Allah and you quote Muhammad and you quote the parts that they don't like, then you're a hater and a bigot. The Southern Poverty Law Center has declared that I'm one of America's top ten bigots. Why? Have I said anything that's wrong or false? No, they never do that. They just say, we don't like the sound of what you say, and it offends Muslims, and so therefore, if it offends Muslims, you're an evil, bad person. And, and, and this is exactly correct, and I want people to, to really understand this, because, uh, Joe, I mean, we were talking about this in preparation for tonight's program. Uh, uh, Dr. Warner, you present nothing but factual information and you do so mm -hmm. i mean you, you don't even i mean you, you don't even raise your voice you, i mean it, it's nope. you know it's really simple it's almost as if you're testifying in a court of law okay now you said two things islam is a religion a religion of peace and then islam is not a religion of peace i mean and, and they're two contradictory statements and, and people are again you know you had mentioned people are having a tough time understanding that but both statements are true um mm -hmm. you, you know now now the other half of that i mean how because i'm sure people are going to email us and say wait a minute how can how can bill warner possibly state that well he just explained that because you know uh half the quran well, is but but go ahead and you know take that further if you will basically it, it's very interesting here islam is a political system but it's the only political system in the world in which they say if you're not a member of it, you cannot possibly understand it. Really? You mean you have a political system that involves me and I can't understand that? But since I tell the complete truth, for instance, Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and persuaded 150 Arabs to become Muslim. He left, went to Medina, whereupon he went become a jihadist and a politician, and this is clearly written in his biography. And by the way, since one of the three books is a biography, are you meaning to tell me that I can't understand a man's biography? Come on. So in the second half of his life during Medina, he averaged an event of violence on the average of once a month for the last nine years of his life. But when he died, every Arab in the peninsula was a Muslim. So the religion failed, or was a weak success, and the political system was an overwhelming success. So Islam is the religion of peace and the politics of jihad. Mm. Pick and choose is like having hot water and cold water. It's very handy. It, it, it morphs based on whatever the yes. desired. Okay. All right. Yes. Wow. You have whatever you need. Islamic State is pure Islam. 
the nice, sweet pharmacist that fulfills your prescription who has a hijab on and who wouldn't raise her voice, she's also pure Islam. But wait a minute. Those two things can't be simultaneously true. That is dualism. That's the reason Islam is so hard to understand. But once you grasp it, it's like, it's, a, it's an incredible system. You always have what you need. Interesting. <laughs> you, you know, it fits the role that, it, that is needed for the part. But, but you know what, Dr. Warner, I'm, I'm going to make an assertive statement here. And and please tell, tell me what you think of this. We have been brainwashed, or not brainwashed, we have been uh, just beaten with words. George W. Bush President ah. Georgia, you know, saying Islam is a religion of peace, and everyone, you know, subsequent to nine eleven, Islam is a religion of peace. We're not at war with Islam. Well, what the heck? I mean, you know, how do you, huh? <laughs> uh, we, we... Well, you've stated the heart of the problem. We're not at war with Islam, but Islam's at war with us. You know how that works out in the end? Yeah, you do. We want to tie, all finish at the same time, holding hands as we cross the finish line. And Islam wants to win. You know how that works out on the playing field? We want to be nice, and they want to be victors. Yeah, yeah. And if we don't, if you know, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Um, yes, I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Only we bring roses to a gunfight. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's really ridiculous to me. Now I'm going to throw a question out here. Uh, I got to ask you, okay? Uh, given the totality of evidence, and, and maybe this doesn't even matter. Maybe it doesn't matter to people, but I want to ask Doctor Bill Warner since we haven't spoken about this. Do we have a Muslim in the White House? I mean, what's your? I don't know. What's your assessment of Barry Satoro? Well, you've had the three most common questions I am asked is Obama a Muslim. What's the difference between Sunni and Shia, and aren't you afraid? Let me deal with the, uh, here's the deal. Muhammad, uh, Obama <laughs> is Islamicizing America. He chops wood and carries water for Muhammad. He meets with the Muslim Brotherhood and executes their wishes whenever they ask. So what difference does it make whether he's a Muslim or not? Because you see, we have an Islamification of America going on. Look at Hillary Clinton. She's not Obama. She worships at the Church of Hillary. She's definitely not a Muslim. But her right arm, Huma Abedin, is a full-blown Muslim Brotherhood. So what difference does it make whether Hillary's a Muslim or not? She will do everything she can to bring the policies of the Muslim Brotherhood to America. Wow. So, And let's take George Bush. George Bush, who brought us war on terror. Now, there's an interesting thing to discuss in any class. <laughs> exactly what is a war on terror? How can, how can you have a war against what attack? Have, what we need is a war against jihad. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, t terror is a tactic, not a target, right? I mean... Exactly. Exactly. So we will never win the war on terror, because that it also... Neither Democrat nor Republican wants to name the enemy, even to even decide there's a war. So as long as we will not name the enemy, we're doomed to lose. And we are losing. How much... How many trillions of dollars have we... And are we any better off than when we started? Nope. We do not even examine the necessary doctrine of war, which is put forth by Islam. Uh, there's a wonderful book written by a uh, brigadier general in Pakistan that's required reading for all flag rank officers. It's called The Quranic Concept of War, a very revealing book. Do we read those books? We don't seem to. We seem to do anything to avoid knowing anything about Islam except, oh, wait a minute, I know this nice Muslim, and I'll ask him what it's every Friday at 11 to 12. It's the largest radio station in Tennessee. 
For two straight Fridays, I tried to organize with Christians a sign. Mm. We need to study the source material. We need to talk to Muhammad, and we need to talk, listen to Allah. And we can do that through their text. Mm. Well, yeah, I and own studies, and which makes people like you so valuable because, um, you know, we can we can look at this intellectually, and this is I think really first and foremost we have to look at the issue intellectually, especially Knoxville, Chattanooga, Nashville, Jackson, Tennessee. So let's go over to the figures again. Forty people will protest the persecution of Christians. Four hundred religious leaders will come out to support Islam at a, at a religious dialogue event. And a thousand Muslims will show up on a Wednesday to lobby down at the legislature. Those are the numbers. What's the psyche behind and in that? In Tennessee, the biggest supporter of Islam has a pulpit on Saturday, I mean, on Sunday. And by the way, the rabbis are no better. If anything, they're worse. <laughs> so the strength of Islam, and by the way, the Muslim Brotherhood has recognized this in public statements. The broadest door into American society is the door of the church. Wow. That's disturbing on many levels. Uh, it's very disturbing on many levels, one of which is these men supposedly are Christian leaders. You know, there's a, the term pastor is used sometimes for a minister, and it refers to the, the idea that you have a shepherd, as it were. You know, a shepherd does not run a petting zoo. A shepherd is there to protect his flock. And the religious leaders that we have in Nashville, Tennessee, now, by the way, I'm only condemning 95% of them. There are a few out there. But 95% of the religious leaders in Nashville, Tennessee, are spineless, gutless, sweet, kind, nice, compassionate people. Hmm. They're wonderful people, but you don't want them in it. You don't want them if, if if it's a tough situation. They don't do tough. They do nice. That seems to be the way of the the mainstream church here in America uh, over the last. I five, would agree with years. you. But, but you do nice too, to the well. I shouldn't say you do factual. Yet you um, you get painted as a bigot by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I which I agree with you is a badge of honor, as most people would agree. But um, nonetheless, it, it does put you know put you in the crosshairs of a number um, of things, you know, a number of issues. But it's good. Well, it does this. I. Uh... I tell you, I judge a man by two things, his friends and his enemies. If you have friends and no enemies, you're not much to me. I want to know who hates you right. and why. Because let me tell you something. If you're trying to improve or change society, you will be hated. Because there's always people who are establishment. And by the way, my politics are neither Democrat nor Republican, liberal or conservative. I'm a dissident. I pretty much reject them all. <laughs> I, I love to hear that you, you don't come with any political agenda just the facts and, and that's exactly where where we're at here today um fantastic well uh, okay uh, muslim brotherhood by the way you you recall the holy land foundation that trial oh yes okay and and the muslim brotherhood is was is a unindicted co-conspirator in that trial yet nothing is done in fact you got muslim brotherhood infiltration throughout the, the entire government i mean how in the hell does that happen i'm sorry for cussing but doggone how's that happen? well you know we have we I've, I've got, I heard a woman talk one time, and I've decided to order the book she wrote, wrote, which had the same title as her talk. It was called Willful Blindness. I have learned that one of the greatest aspects of being a human being is the ability to deny the truth. 
you know the old expression, the Nile is the biggest river in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we find that you can be very powerful. You can have stars on your shoulders. You can be a senator. And you can just willfully deny anything you want to. It's uncomfortable, so we don't deal with that. Doctor, it hurts when I touch it right here. Well, then don't touch it. And so that's what we do with Islam. It hurts when we touch it. Well, don't touch it. Hmm. Hands off, as opposed to engagement, intellectual or otherwise, hands off. And here, here's the great tragedy of this. We have a civilization that has the intellectual cornerstone of critical thought and the ethical cornerstone of the golden rule. When we throw away critical thought, we've thrown away half of our civilization, and then we, when we agree to treat an, a political system that has no golden rule, a religious system that has no golden rule, and Islam does not have a golden rule, we decide we'll do basis with them as equals, even though they don't have the golden rule, then we've thrown away the other half of our civilization. So we're out here brainless and goofy, but we're sweet, and we'll give you money if you need it. We'll have to borrow the money, but we'll give it to you. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, we hear a lot, of, you know, with wow. Islam and the, especially with the increase of, of refugees about Sharia law. Yeah. And we hear a lot of, you know, uh, Dearborn, Michigan has this influx of a Muslim population to the point where police won't even go and patrol areas of Dearborn, Michigan, uh, pretty much staying out of it. And we, we've heard talk from there all across the country about Sharia law being implemented for the sake of uh, the Islamic uh, people who are living in this country. Is Sharia law compatible with our Constitution? No. Goodness gracious, no. <laughs> let's, let, and, and let's just touch on this briefly. We've already said that Islam doesn't have a golden rule, so what this means is we don't get treated as equals. The Constitution goes through a lot of trouble, particularly once the amendments are added, to make sure that no one who appears in front of a judge is a member of a special class. That is, we all stand equal before the law. Now, that's theory and not always met in practice, but nevertheless, it is an ideal. The Sharia explicitly sets forth different categories in front of the law. There's the kafir, the non-believer. There's the demi, the non-believer who's agreed to subjugate himself to the Sharia. There are women, there are slaves, and then there's Muslim males. So in a Sharia, there are five categories of legal class. Well, that does not match our Constitution. The other thing is our Constitution can be adapted when need to. Sharia is not capable of adaption because it's based on the Quran, which is perfect, complete, universal, and eternal. Once you have those qualities, there's nothing you can do to change anything. So the Sharia is changeless. Now what Muslims say is our Constitution is man-made law and is therefore jahiliya, which means it's from the age of ignorance. It's the work of ignorance. Whereas Sharia law is from Allah and is therefore perfect God's law. So therefore, our Constitution, Article 6, says it's the supreme law of the land, and the line of Muslims is not the supreme law of the land. And that's just only a few places where the Sharia does not match our Constitution. Oh, let's go with free speech. (laughs) Good luck on that in the Sharia. How about freedom of conscience? Good luck on that. If you leave Islam, it's like Hotel California. You can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. So you, it, it fails on all criteria, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. No, it's not there. Interesting. Uh, we're at half past the hour. Folks, you're listening to 
Bill Warner. Doctor, Doctor Bill Warner. Uh, politicalislam.com is his website. Politicalislam.com. You know, folks, I I did not know this. Now he's written a lot of books, but uh, for example, a simple Quran, um, the Islamic doctrine of slave. Or I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Sharia law for non-Muslims, which, by the way, Sharia law, Sharia law for non-Muslims is uh, a, a, one of the top-selling books uh, on Sharia law in that niche market on Amazon. So, plus... If Under you, Islamic law, yeah. Yes, and, and folks, go to politicalislam.com and, and bookmark that website because if you want factual information about Islam that is not hyped, it's not twisted... Dr. Warner has charts. He's got investigative research project information. For example, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, ladies and gentlemen. Between 632 and 1922, you know, for that 600-year period, basically, Islam launched 548 offensive battles against classical civilization. And he's got Mm -hmm. a database. Now, you've got a a database, battle map, and, and, I mean, all of this information at you know, for our use, for you know, present, presenting the, uh, the the facts about Islam. So I just want to say thank you for that. And again, your website, politicalislam.com, politicalislam.com. I would suggest everyone bookmark that site. Now, having said that, um, I mean, okay, so so Sharia law, since it's not compatible with our constitution, and we know that, how is it that we have a congressman? And maybe this is trivial to you or other people. I mean, not you, but other people, um, Keith Ellison, the first, the first Muslim in Congress. I mean, taking his oath on a Quran. What are we thinking? I mean, really. Uh, you 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 presume something there, which I'm not sure we're doing. You called it. What are we thinking? <laughs> we seem to put our thinking cap down and put on our stupid hat. It, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how. Otherwise, kind, good, and decent people who are quite intelligent. I mean, they can be a CPA, they can be a professional, but when it comes to Islam, they suddenly go, well, you know, we can't criticize that. Really? Mm. Islam is the only thing we cannot criticize? That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Very much so. And why can't we criticize it? Well, you're afraid, aren't you? You're afraid of either being called a bigot, Remember, one of the top questions I'm asked is, aren't you afraid? <clears throat> to which I respond, well, of course I'm afraid. Do you think I'm a fool? Wow. wow. To, okay, now, i I, I got to tell you, um, it's a stunning admission, but it's an honest one. Because, you know, anytime, I mean, I mean, look at those people who have criticized Islam. Um, I'm trying to remember the name, that, uh, name of the gentleman who... Ended up with a knife in his chest, um, but there's so many plentiful uh, not examples. Not Pim Fortune. That was uh, oh, who was that? Yeah, that, in, in in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, right? I mean, it, it seems to me that, uh, and and I expect to see this soon. Oh, Theo Van Gogh. That's right. Okay, yeah, I expect to see the uh, you know the life insurance underwriters. You know, rating a policy. If you criticize Islam, you're gonna, you know, have a higher premium. Uh, now, have you been threatened? I, I got to ask this. Have you been threatened? Because you, you, you've, you've been on the. No, top. I have not. Okay. And, and okay. the reason is quite simple. I, if you'll notice, that so far, like I told you, Muhammad preached the religion of for 13 years and converted 150 people. 
Then I went ahead to say he averaged an event of violence on the average of once a month for the last nine years of his life. I do not criticize the man. Instead, I say Muhammad was the greatest warrior who ever lived. He created an entirely new form of warfare called civilizational war. Now then, I just leave it hanging there like that. I say that he was never capable of being discouraged. He never quit. He kept on going no matter how bad the situation is. All of these things are factually true. I do not, for instance, some people call him a pedophile. I do not ever use those terms. Instead, I say he married Aisha when she was six and consummated the marriage at nine. Since I never criticize, I never mock, therefore, as a matter of fact, I've had Muslims write me a little confused because when I say things like he was the greatest warrior who ever lived, no one dies for Caesar today, they're kind of like, you know, this guy may even be a Muslim himself. <laughs> so I use neutral, I use statistics, I use facts. Everything I say, I can point to an objective fact. So as a consequence, I never vilify. I just say we have a problem. Uh, as a result, I've never been threatened. Now I've been called stupid been called racist. By the way, what's with the racist thing? Well, you know, it doesn't I mean, even it's make like, sense. call me stupid, call me a bigot if you want to, but racist? What's race got to do with Islam? Exactly. I've never figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anyone who would hurl an insult of racism or calling you a racist or anyone a racist, we're talking about the, uh, a religious or a political uh, system or Islam itself is, is ridiculous. Race has nothing to do with Islam. Uh, you know what I think it is? Racist is the term they can use since we're not out on the street and they can't use other choice words. It's just the most stinging, hardest-cutting word they know to use, and so that's what they use. It doesn't have any factual truth. It's just like that's our dirtiest word we can use. And I have a comment to make here. Have you noticed that the term racist, when it's used now, people don't even bother to respond, defend, or acknowledge? It's like, yeah, whatever. Absolutely. The word has kind of been worn out in terms of its emotional impact. I remember when you calling someone a racist would make them cringe and cry or seek forgiveness, but now it's like, whatever. Exactly, yeah. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think we're, well, it, it, it's, just, it's just... Well, it's it, a bad thing in that it's been used so much, so inappropriately, it no longer has a precise meaning anymore. That's right. Like yeah. most words, it's, a, yeah. it's become a universal smear. Exactly. If we can switch gears here, Mr. Warner, uh, Dr. Warner, uh, I'd like to ask you about ISIS. Um, the, uh, I guess first is, is ISIS Islamic? Well, Islamic State is pure Islam, unmitigated, unapologetic, full-blown Islam. How do we know this? Well, first off, we have to discuss, the, let's answer a question here. What is Islam? If we're going to say are they Islamic or not, we need to know what Islam is. Islam is the civilizational doctrine, which includes religious doctrine, political doctrine, and moral doctrine, that is found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. That is what Islam is, the doctrine found in those three books. Now that we've established what it is, we can now measure a Muslim and say, well, how much of Islam do you meet? For instance, Islamic State, they have sex slaves. Well, Muhammad had sex slaves. Sex, the sex slavery is laid out clearly in the Quran, laid out clearly in the Hadith, and laid out clearly in the Sirah. So since Islamic State is using Yazidis and Christians as sex slaves, they, and in their magazine, Dabiq, they go on for six pages with careful, careful exposition of doctrine to show that Muhammad had sex slaves. All of his companions, with the exception of one, had sex slaves. So therefore, having sex slaves is pure Islam. 
the business of killing kafirs, or that is, people who don't fully obey the Islamic laws, even though they're Muslims, there's, there is support for that in the doctrine. So everything, when you read Islamic State's output, they go through exquisite, well-reasoned. Remember, the head of the Islamic State, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, has a Ph.D. in Islamic studies from Al-Azhar University. You don't get better credentials. I, if you will, grade their homework every time they justify what they do. Everything they say and do is dead on. They always score 100, on my opinion. So, yes, Islamic State is pure Islam okay. because they fulfill of Islamic doctrine. You know, when you when you talk about the Islamic State, what comes to my mind is the is the mass murdering um, machinery of 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 ISIS. And, and you know, when if if I was just to throw out the the phrase mass murder, for example, to to the average person on the street today, I, I think I think most people would equate mass murder, genocide, whatever, to Hitler uh, or or Stalin or or something like that. You know, you, you look at these twentieth century totalitarians as the worst of the worst but then islam uh, you, you've got to know the truth and, and i know bill uh, dr warner you, you islam it, it has killed more than any of those surpassed yes. all of them combined the enormity of the slaughters of this of this so-called religion is so far behind comprehension that even honest historians overlook the scale you're talking about just one example the islamic conquest of india is probably the bloodiest story in history you know yes. so, so the, the disconnect is crazy i mean go ahead well one of the things i did as a scientist i was amazed to find that a lot of simple questions had never been asked and one of those simple questions was how many people have died in jihad what i call the tears of jihad now these are rough figures 80 million Hindus, 120 million Africans, and 10 million Buddhists. For a total of 270 million killed over 1,400 years. That's a lot of dead people. Muhammad himself, if you want to call mass murder, in one day's time, sold off every Jewish woman who was in Medina as for sex slaves, wholesaled them off, adopted all the Jewish children into their Islamic family, Muslim families, to be raised as Muslims, and sat there beside his now 12-year-old bride, Aisha, as the heads of 800 Jews were removed. Their crime, they said Muhammad was not the prophet of Allah. Now, I don't know what you call killing 800 people in one day, a mass murder, but I think it sneaks up on the definition of mass murder. It's a heck of a day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, I mean, the statistics, and again, folks, Dr. Bill Warner is our guest, politicalislam.com, his website, bookmark that site for fascinating information. He's got over 90, folks, 90 videos. This will keep you busy for a while. You want to know about Islam? Dr. Bill Warner, as far as I'm concerned, is the premier expert on yeah. Islam. Um, and Dr. Warner was just explaining something. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the aspect of uh, taking the Hebrews in, into slavery and using the women as sex slaves. Do we still see that today um, practiced by Islam? Yeah. Um, what part does Islam play in slavery and what part has it played in the past? Ah, <laughs> now you've asked a truly interesting historical question. I taught for eight years at a black university, and here's the official history of slavery in the world. Slave, white men, evil white men on wooden ships, got slaves out of Africa, brought them to America, and sold them and treated them cruelly. 
Well, there's truth to that. But let's go for the whole truth. Where did they get these slaves? You know, if you're sailing, if you're a sailor on a sailboat, you do not park your boat and run off and grab a bunch of people in the sh- jungle and bring them back as slaves. You're a, you're a sailor. You sail a boat. And just like a truck driver doesn't make the televisions that are in the back of his truck, he got them at a loading dock. In the same way, every slave that was brought to the West was sold by an Islamic wholesale slave trader. They sold them on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Mediterranean Coast. And so every slave in America has his origins in Islam. Muhammad financed his jihad with, for the, with slaves. Muhammad had black slaves, white slaves. He, had Hin- he did not have Hindu slaves. He had black ones, white ones, Arabs. What's interesting is all the slaves in Muhammad's biography and traditions, always it gives their race. He stood by and prayed while slaves were tortured to extract information. He had black slaves. He stood by and, and while Ali beat Aisha's black slave, Baria, to extract some information out of her. So Muhammad was wholesaled him, retailed him. The pulpit he preached from was built by a slave. His garments were sewn by a slave. He was as into slavery as he had sex slaves. His favorite sex slave, her name was Miriam. She was a Christian girl described as wavy hair and fair of complexion. By the way, here's an interesting fact. Now Muslims tell black folks that Islam is the religion of the black man, and Christianity is the religion of the white man. Isn't it interesting that we have people like Cassius Clay who adopt a name like Muhammad Ali, when both Muhammad and his cousin, son-in-law, Ali, were slave owners? And yet we see that slaves are considered to be the white man's problem. And by the way, I don't have a problem with blaming whites for their involvement in slavery. But where I do object to is to not go fully and state up that slavery was practiced in every society and that the chief practitioner of slavery in the West was Islam. You make a great point. How come that's, an, how come that's an, a story that's not well known? It's certainly shocking enough. Yeah, exactly. You know, over a hundred, um, I don't recall the author. Um, he, he wrote a, um, a book, I think the late, the legacy of Arab Islam. Anyway, he cites where over 110 million blacks were killed by Islam. There were 28 million Africans who were enslaved in the Muslim Middle East, and 80% of those captured were were never never reached the slave market because of death. Uh, you know, the death toll from 1,400 years of. By the Arab... way, let me make a comment go, here. Please, yes, go ahead. My study says it was 120 million. His says 110 million. I'm 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 pleased with the near correspondence. So, wow. I mean, the numbers are staggering. And you're right. Yes. But what's worse is the numbers are ignored and never referred to. Man. Have you, I mean, someone page Bill Maher or or Colbert or, you know, (laughs) Tom, uh, what's his name, Hartman. Yeah, uh, or uh, it's unbelievable. Okay. I mean, yeah, this is is crazy. And and you know what, doctor? I've been doing a lot of research about the, the and, and I'm going to make people's heads explode about the Nazis, but it's amazing to me the role Islam played in the in World War II and the Nazis and how uh, Hitler and his henchmen, including um, uh, Himmler and others, had, had recognized uh, Islam as, as uh, well a weaponized a form of weaponized religion and great warriors because they you know they they exploited the the Muslims themselves. But having said that, I mean, any thoughts on that? 
Well, I have a an extensive library on Islam, and one of those books is a detailed history of the SS. The SS plan for the Jews was not to kill them. Their first plans were to simply ask them to leave, and if they didn't want to leave, they'd take them to uh, Middle East and park them there. But there were some meetings held between the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and Hitler. And the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem explained to Hitler that there... And by the way, I've read Mein Kampf. In Mein Kampf, the Jews are never threatened with death. Hitler hates the Jews, but he doesn't say he's going to kill them. Anyway, the Grand Mufti of uh, Jerusalem said, Look, Muhammad shows you the way, and he told him the story of the 800 Jews killed in one day. It is interesting that in the SS annuals, the thought of killing them all came late, not early. And the question has to hang in the air, did the Grand Mufti influence Hitler? Because Hitler was a great admirer of Islam. He said Christianity was a wuss religion. He right. said, Islam, not there you get your soldiers. He had an eye for that kind of thing. <sighs> That's exactly what we know our research has, has um, uh, developed. And, of course, you know, the many. Peter Lavenda comes to mind, too, an author I mentioned earlier in the program uh, about uh, the Muslims and the Nazis, as well as others. But, of course, you've done a lot of research. And, folks, again, uh, Dr. Bill Warner, his website, uh, visit his website, and also YouTubes. I mean, so many YouTubes with uh, talking about all of this that we're talking about. You could spend days there. He's made over 90 of them on his channel, Political Islam Channel. Folks, you please visit there and, and really understand what we're dealing with. And what are we dealing with, Dr. Warner, about the alien invasion or the invasion into, well, the Syrian refugee crisis, if you want to get broad about it. But what are we doing? Let me, let me tell you something about the Syrian refugee crisis. I have an organization in Europe called CSPI International. It's an NGO, 501c4, basically, deals with education. I get to, the best thing about what I do are the people I get to meet. And one of these people is a, an Iraqi who was a Muslim who's now a Christian. And he preaches in Northern, he preaches the gospel within the sounds of Islamic State's artillery. He's a, because Arabic is his native language. Now, Arabic has many flavors, and you can usually tell where a person is from by the flavor of Arabic they speak. He said, I have spoken with these so called Syrian refugees. I would estimate that one in five is Syrian. And he says, these are not refugees, they have brand new parkas on. And he said, most, he said, the most of them are young, high, uh, strong males. He said, I would estimate, now this is a rule of, he said, just this is more of a guess. He said, there's roughly 10% of them are Islamic State. So the Syrian refugees are neither Syrian nor refugees. And yet, England, uh, yet Europe is bleeding and saying, oh, yes, send us your poor people. We will take care of them. We will let them rape our women. We will give them free food. We'll do everything for them. And then for some reason, they'll be nice people. But anyway, Muhammad's greatest invention was civilizational war. There is no aspect of being a human being that Muhammad did not use for war. Prayer, clothing, everything, bathroom habits, while history is to be viewed. He had an answer for everything. Most of the time in military, you want to occupy territory. And if you're going to be an occupying or colonialist force, you want the tax money and the power to get more tax money. Islam wants more than that. They want your entire civilization. Islam is not satisfied until the Sharia rules everything. 
So Muhammad's genius was to view every aspect of civilization as a tool of war. For instance, we're already getting it here. They've had it in Europe for some time, where Muslims come out into the street on Friday, commandeer the street, and do prayers in public. Now, there's, this is a great illustration of the difference between politics and religion. The prayer is religious. Commandeering the street is pure politics. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. If you and I go out and commandeer the street and shut down traffic, I'll meet some people with blue lights who have no sense of humor. But when the Muslims do that in America, the police stand back and make sure you don't bother them. So there's your perfect analysis of the difference between political Islam and religious Islam. Hmm. What we ought to do is apply the same laws to them as we apply to everyone else. But they get a pass on that. Yeah. We don't want to offend them. By the way, do you ever wake up some mornings and just get offended by what's going on around you? Oh, absolutely. Every, every morning, Dr. Warner, you got to live with Me too. <laughs> but somehow or another, you and I are in the political class that is offensive-free. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, that is the application of Sharia. We need to understand for our audience here that Sharia law is not law in the sense of having a judge with books behind him. Sharia is a community law, and it can be enforced by the community. So therefore, we see that we are beginning to take on the aspects of Sharia when we say, okay, I will not be permitted to speak at a university because it would offend Muslims. Well, not wanting to offend Muslims means that we're already obeying the Sharia. By not busting them when they commandeer the street, we're obeying the Sharia. There you go. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, so we we have self-subjugated ourselves because of... Yes. Yeah, okay. Man. Well, look, 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 look. Islam is not the problem. We are the problem. The ministers are the problem. The rabbis are the problem. The politicians are the problem. We are the problem. If we would show up one morning and say, we're going to win and we're going to take totally, total victory, it would be easy. But instead we come out, well, we don't want to offend anybody. My my best, my brother has a business partner who's a Muslim. I don't want to offend him. Okay. That's. We need to, we need to get in the business of offending some people. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So, so how do we go about doing this? I mean, in, in folks, Dr. Bill Warner is our guest and he's been on numerous, numerous talk shows. He's got a radio show himself and, and, uh, a national or in Tennessee, biggest uh, station in Tennessee. But, but what do we do? How do we handle this at this point? I mean, you got Trump coming in saying, you know, let, let's, um, you're talking about the refugee issue, but also equating that with Islam if if you were the head guy and you had the you know free reign, what, how would you handle all of this? What would you do? I would start with education. <clears throat> First, name the enemy. I would start with education. If I were if I were emperor of the United States, which I'm not, nor am I going to be, I would mandate that everyone understand the Quran, understand the Sirah, understand the Hadith, because everyone, when they find out what really Islam is about, when they find out who Muhammad really was. I have some books on my shelf about apostasy in Islam, that is, leaving Islam. Every Muslim who leaves Islam makes the following one of two discoveries. They study the Quran enough to understand the true nature of Allah, or they study Muhammad enough to understand the true nature of Muhammad. Once you truly understand the complete knowledge of Islam, 
And by the way, the average Muslim does not understand much about Islam at all. <clears throat> Sorry for the froggy throat there. But uh, <clears throat> So I would start with education, because once you educate people as to what the true nature of Islam is, then you don't have any problem with a solution to the problem. All right. All right. So we start with knowledge, and after that we have to organize ourselves. This is not something you can do by yourself. One of America's favorite myths is the lone gun hero. The lone ranger, right? Rides into town. The bad guys feel, can sense his courage and skill with arms, and so he rides off into the sunset, and the town is now safe again. Great myth, but Superman ain't living. You have to work with other people. If you're a Christian, you need to start working within your church. If you're an individual, you need to start educating your friends and family. Because once we understand the true nature of Islam, we can then do something about Islam. The problem with George Bush was is he just wanted to wuss around with it, and he did not want to call out the enemy for who they really are. You have to understand that the Bushes were in the oil business. And if you're in the oil business, you're in the Middle East, you get to know some very powerful, wealthy, charming Muslims. Yes, sir. So George Bush has no understanding of Islam at all. So anyway, we start with knowledge, and I would certainly have the law enforcement and the military to study this, and I would mandate, remember I'm only saying here because I'm emperor of the universe, right. I would mandate that everybody has to know Muhammad and everybody has to know Allah. It's, a, it's, it's about intellectual. This is an ideological war. The bullets and bombs are the least important part of it. I agree. Uh, I'm I'm totally agreeing because, well, how do you see the future 20 years from now? If we continue on the same trajectory as we're continuing right now, and I do suspect that there's nothing really going to change, do you see America as... Well, I must say, as a student of war, I disagree with you. Okay, go ahead. Because war is a nonlinear affair. On December 8th, 1941, the Japanese were winning big time. But it didn't work out that way in the end, because we decided to go to war. If we ever decided to go to war, we would win. This is what drives me so crazy. If we only wanted to win, we could win. But we don't want to win. We want to tie. We want to walk hand-in-hand across the finish line, and everybody gets a smiley face and a gold star. That's no way to run a nation. We have enemies, and we need to recognize that. So it's a... So, it's, so, it's so you, all about education. So you, Once people know what Islam is, they become transformed. So you, so you do see hope then with education. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so there is yeah. hope. Okay, good. Okay. Well, that's that's. Like I say, war is nonlinear business, and by that I mean it goes in alert. For instance, if Europe decided, you know what, we're going to take care of the immigration problem, because what we're going to do, we're going to make some declarations here. And the, the declarations you would make would basically forbid the public practice of Islam. Now, if we ever decided we didn't want Islam, Islam would go away. That's a very important statement. That, that's a tremendously important statement you just made. Look, uh, Dr. Warner, we got about uh, 90, well, a minute and a half here left. I can't believe how fast this hour went. Um, to, to, tell people, plug your website and your book, your books. How, how can people get okay. a hold of your, your, your site and your books? going to have to have you back. Okay. What's unusual about my books is, is they're not about Islam. They are Islam. That is, Muhammad and the Unbelievers is a, an adaptation, which is easy to read. And by the way, everything that I say can be verified from the prime source. 
I'm all about working strictly for Muhammad and Allah, not your best friend or somebody in your work. I deal with Muhammad. My books are straight. I paid a, a 14-year-old one time $20 to read Muhammad and the Unbelievers. She could read it easily. That is, these books are written not to impress you with how smart I am, which is a question we probably don't want to work deal with too much anyway. But instead, when I was a professor, my pride was is that I could explain very difficult things to people who thought they were hard. And that's what I've done with Islam. I've made it simple, easy, and straightforward. Anyone can understand Islam now. Fantastic. And if you don't believe what I say, I'll show you how to verify it. Excellent. Well, uh, well Dr. Warner, we're going to have to have you back on. Please, uh, you have an open invitation. Well, yeah, I'd love we'd love to have you on on a regular basis because people are just we, we you know what starting up. And this situation I mean, is not over. Uh, the uh, of course Islamic not. the immigrant situation, this is only going to continue to unfold. Would you agree? Oh, with listen, that? it's going to be in the news for the rest of your life. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. This is the great question of the 21st century. Will we accept Sharia or reject Sharia? That is the great question. Hmm. Political Islam has subjugated civilizations for 1,400 years. Politicalislam.com. That's politicalislam.com. Dr. Bill Warner, truly an expert in, the, in this field, fantastic author. And check out his YouTube channel. Go to politicalislam.com.